Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature audio from our Expo 2020 panel series. In this episode, Andrew Dwyer from APC hosts a throwdown debate with a panel of subcontractors and employees. This is the throwdown debate, subs versus employees. Now, originally, I thought my job was to be on the panel. I'm a lifelong sub. I've never started in my life. Throughout high school, I was never a starter. I was always a sub. They never put me in. But apparently, that's not what we're talking about. So, if anyone else was confused, so was I. Don't feel bad. Um, I'm Andrew Dwyer, by the way. I'm publisher of APC, American Painting Contractor. Uh, We're the official publication of PCA. Uh, We do a lot of things other than the magazine. We have a weekly e-newsletter. We now put up podcasts every week. Um, I mentioned we're the official publication of PCA. We're the unofficial inspirational podcast for Dave Scaturro's workouts. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I believe he said, listening to Andrew makes me want to be a better man, right? (laughs) And I, I... Uh, Your mic isn't on, and it's not going to be. (laughs) Um, So again, it's a throwdown debate, but then Chris Shank went out of his way to make it clear, no violence, uh, no aggressiveness. So I think the, (laughs) the challenge really is on you guys and me to ask probing questions because there's no right answer. There's just a right answer for you or a wrong answer for you. And so that's their job, is to explain why and what they do. And your job is to, again, ask intelligent questions, which may be difficult for some of you. Um, Throw down, just FYI, this stage is padded, don't worry. The front tables are breakaway tables. If uh, Mr. Turo here, Scatty Turo, hits me with with a chair, it's a breakaway chair. Don't worry, okay? Nick may, Nick may lose his mind and, and, uh, and pile drive me. So just be ready, it's all part of the act, okay? No worries, don't, don't call Chris. It, what happens in here stays in here, okay? Uh, also, as far as questions, who downloaded the app? Okay, so if you go to the app and you click on Throwdown Debate, and then you scroll to the bottom, it says ask a question. And all you need to do, I'm told, is hit ask a question a second time, type, 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 submit question, and then it shows up there. And then I can ask those questions, or if you want to, write it on a piece of paper, ball it up, throw it at me, and I will happily ask the question. So let's, uh, let's get started introduce our panelists. We've got uh, Nick May, owner of Walls by Design in beautiful Denver, Colorado. Hello. We've got Katie Hedges, Director of Operations at 4Jack Industrial in Columbus, Ohio. Hello. 
I should say, beautiful Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Garrett Martell, two-day painting, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Thank you, great introduction. Happy and, to be here. <laughs> sorry. And Scatty himself, Mr. Dave Scaturro, VP and Director of Commercial Estimating at Alpine Painting and Sandblasting in Patterson, New Jersey. So, uh, to start, that was a very brief introduction. If you guys could give a slightly longer but, but brief introduction of uh, the type of work your company does um, and then where you fall on the subs versus employees. You don't have to explain why, we're just sort of identifying and then we'll dig in further. Thanks. As Andrew said, my name is Katie Hedges with Four Jack Industrial. Um, we have about 75 employees. We're based in Ohio. Um, we have four divisions of our company. We do commercial and industrial painting, uh, non-mechanical service, concrete restoration, and then we have a blasting facility as well. So um, we tend to self-perform, so we're in a more employee-based. We do sub some when the circumstances are right. Um, some of our divisions do, and then other of our divisions do not sub at all. Um, what were the other questions, Andrew, you wanted me to cover? Uh, no, I think that covered it. Perfect. Nice. My name is Nick May. I own a company called Walls by Design in Denver, Colorado. We are 100% employee-based. Um, and that, the, the work we do is all residential. And uh, we go so far as even to have interior designers on staff. So I literally do not subcontract anything. Dave Scatoro, I'm one of the owners of Alpine Painting and Sandblasting Contractors. We're based in Patterson, New Jersey, about 15 miles west of Manhattan. Um, second generation contractor. We run about 100 guys peak season that's split between subs and employees. Um, to about 15 million in revenue. Our primary markets are on the industrial side, water, wastewater, so a lot of tanks. Commercial side, primarily warehouse distribution, mid and high rises. And then we have a shop division where we do in-house blasting and painting and a flooring division where we provide resinous flooring systems, polished concrete, terrazzo, urethane cements. My name is Garrett Martell. I have a painting company in Milwaukee, Wisconsin called Two Day Painting. We do uh, mostly residential work and some light commercial work. I have about 80% subcontractors and about 20% employees. I even uh, subcontract my designers, unlike Nick. Uh, <laughs> it's on. Uh, <laughs> But, yeah, that's me. Okay, so, uh, and by the way, if at any time you can't hear anybody, definitely let us know, okay? Um, is there trouble? No, just talking about you. Okay, well, I can understand. Love you too, Dave. Um, so again, let's have all four of you explain the, the, the whether, well, why you chose subs versus employees, how that system works, for each of you. I know you could probably spend 20 minutes on that, but uh, let's maybe do a couple minutes on how it works for your company. Yeah, so I think for us it goes back to kind of what's important to us and what we value as a company. Um, our motto is super basic, but it's, it's one that we've lived by for years, and it's just we say what we do and we do what we say. Um, it's amazing how difficult that can be for some contractors, I'm sure present company excluded, um, but in this industry to follow that. And we have found um, it's even more difficult to follow it if you don't know and the standards may not be the same. Um, with a sub, you know, you, you're not exactly sure what's transpiring on site. You don't know if their standards are the same as yours. Um, and you, know, you have to put other, other things in place. So at some point, 
I think you have to weigh the cost benefit. If you are gonna have a sub and you're gonna add layers of um, quality control and, and layers of um, making sure that they're doing what, how you would do it and how your own employees would do it, at some point, is there a cost benefit to that? Um, so that's kind of the model that we've gone under. Our blast plant facility specifically, obviously that's um, a much, it's a large facility and it has um, exponentially higher risk for safety and things like that. So we, you know, that is not an area of our, um, of our company that we would ever sub work to. We would not use a sub, or a sub for, um, for anything like that. So in the painting, in the painting world, in the commercial world, it works a little bit better. But even then, we, you know, we provide somebody who comes on site before, does a thorough walkthrough with them, comes on site multiple times throughout the project to make sure that the spec is being followed. That you know, something even even as simple as the mill thickness is there, and they're not cutting corners. Um, and then we we do a punch out and a walk with the sub at the end, and you know, they don't get paid until our superintendents are clear that you know what we said we would do is actually what we did. So, you know, sometimes there's just not the margin and jobs to allow for that makeup, which is why we've kind of developed into the system that we have today. But again, th there are times I think where it makes sense. Um, we did a million square foot project two years ago and there was a lot of interior pole painting, same thing day after day, you know, rows and rows of painting. And I think there can be a situation where you might be able to use a people ready situation um, or a sub situation for something like that because it's repetitive, you're already on site. Um, but other than that, I think that's kind of the model that we followed. Can I ask, before we get to Nick, one follow-up. You call it self-perform. Why do you use that phrase? You know, we've always called it that. Um, I, I mentioned that to Chris yesterday, and he was surprised that we called it self-perform. You know, I, I think, again, it just goes back to being responsible for what we say we would do, being responsible for our, for our relationship and the rapport that we have for our customers. So we've just, that's always been the phrase that we've, that we've used, self-perform. So when I started my business, it was 100% um, employees. You know, it was me and one guy. We've always had employees, um, but I will, I will add that I have tried it. So it's not that I, I don't know what it's like to have subcontractors. Um, we did some flooring over the years. I did exterior painting, and that was, we tried the submodel. Um, and it was very frustrating for me um, to, to to manage subs, I couldn't get them to, to show up when I wanted them to show up. They would cancel at the last minute. Um, it was very frustrating, and I and I'm somewhat of a control freak, and so I like having employees. When I have an employee, I can tell them what time to show up, how to do it, um, use my shirts, my equipment, my you know the list goes on and on, and you give up a lot of control when you have a subcontractor model. Um, if you follow the rules. Um, as set forth by the government of what, how you can manage those people. And there's not a lot of control. And so when I, we actually use this and talk about it in our sales process. When I go, because we do 100% residential work, um, it's one of our you know, five points that we, that we talk about. I say, we have employee-based painters. That means they're covered under my workman's comp, my liability insurance, and in fact, we do background checks on every single person before I bring them into your house. Um, if I was doing exterior work, I think there, there could be a, a little bit more of an opportunity there for me, but um, as of right now, we are not doing any exterior work. Um, I, will, I will tell you, we, um, we, we run things a little bit different. We're, uh, we run a piece rate um, pay system, and so we have a little bit of kind of the best of both worlds. So my guys like the fact that they know exactly what they're going to get paid for this project, and if they're faster more efficient um, at what they're doing, then they actually get to make more money. Um, and so 
that is a part of our system with employees. So they get, so our guys, I think industry average wise probably make more than other guys in our town um, because of that. Um, but they're full employees. We have health benefits. Um, it's, I love building team. Um, so there's not much about the subcontractor model that I, that I personally like because I've, I've never experienced a, a, a good model. So maybe somebody else will have something else good to say about it. Thank you, Nick. So um, there's pros and cons to subs, right? Um, we found that subcontractors are not right for every division within our company. Um, we are approximately 60% industrial, and the amount of training, uh, whether that's craftsman training or safety training that goes involved to each one of those employees, the risk that is involved at heights or utilizing abrasive blasting methods is not a good model for subcontractors for us. So for our industrial side, other than utilizing scaffolding companies or welders, um, we don't utilize subcontractors. For our in-house shop division, again, as Nick referenced for meeting the IRS standard, we don't use subcontractors. Um, but for our flooring and for our commercial division, it makes sense to us. Um, we have, I would say, about 50-50 for each of those two divisions, um, subs versus employees. It makes sense when you can scale up or scale down, right? So we're, we're in the Northeast. We get cold winter months. Our exteriors slow down. Our revenue slows down. Rather than having HR hiring and firing on a regular basis, we don't necessarily need to do that. Um, so there's, there's a pro there, right? Um, you lock in the number. The minute you get that subcontractor to agree to labor rate, providing you're not way off on materials or equipment, you've got a guaranteed profit before you start that job. There's a pro there. Cons, you have limited communication uh, with your subcontractors. If you're following the rules properly, you can't um, dictate means and methods on that job. You, know, you can utilize project managers to oversee the crew you can utilize documentation to make sure they understand the schedule and the scope, but there's limited control, um, which is definitely a liability on certain projects. So um, it absolutely can work if you have the right system or the right model, which we'll get into in the next couple questions. Thank you, great answer. So we use about 80% contractors for our business. We are in the uh, cold Wisconsin climate, and uh, one of the reasons why I do it is for scalability. Uh, we get about six to seven months out of the year where we can paint outside, and we do two-thirds of our business as residential exterior work. So we, uh, if we had all employees, we'd have to turn down a lot of exterior projects because we'd want to keep them busy and working all winter long, or we'd have to lay off more than half of our staff. So being able to utilize subcontractors has been absolutely huge for us, and we can scale up and down to the amount of demand that we get in the field, and it creates a really great business opportunity for me in that sense. As far as quality control, I've been, uh, we've been doing this for a while, and we have had some issues in the past with certain things, but we found a way around almost everything where you're still following the guidelines and we're able to maintain quality control on a residential scale. I agree with a lot of commercial projects and industrial, it may be almost impossible to utilize contractors. 
but on our most residential projects, it's not rocket science. You know, you can have an inspector or a project manager out at the job to ensure quality control when needed. And uh, you can, uh, you know, train on board and really uh, make sure that they're following, you know, certain guidelines that you want to, to set to control communication in a sense. Uh, so we have a lot of success with ours. We do not have a quality issue compared to our in-house crews at all on most residential projects. So we like it because we can uh, scale around. We can have well over 100 people working in the field at a given time if we, if we need it, and we can get the amount of crews on there. So we can produce you know, over a quarter million dollars a week in residential if we have a great week. And if it's a little bit slower that week or some jobs get uh, fall behind, it doesn't hurt us at all. We can also control our job margins really easily and well. Uh, everyone in this room has amazing production systems and they're able to really work with their employees that they've built over the years. But you know, as a younger guy, I'm 29 years old, uh, we do have a lot of employee crews and we do have solid systems when it comes to that. But uh, it's much harder for us to control job margins on a job-by-job -job basis and uh, you know, make sure that the crews are always producing on budget, that they're not overbuying on supplies, that they're taking care of your tools, that they're not losing tools. With this, they provide their own equipment. They, uh, if they overbuy on paint, that comes out of their profit margins. They have the opportunity to lose jobs that they don't manage it well. They have to go back and fix up the project to make the customer happy. They're not gonna make as much money on the project, so they have motivation to take care of the customer the first time. And if they do it well, they can make a lot more money than an employee. So our best painters on our crew, the top-notch guys that have perfect reputations, are experienced tradespeople, they produce at the work of three to four people, are contractors, and they want to work that way because they can make over $100 an hour if they do it right, and they can make a serious income for themselves. So we want to scale both operations. I believe that both operations have their benefits and both operations have their downfalls. We want to grow to be the largest painting company we can, and I don't want to only look for a pool of labor that is employee-based or only look for a pool of labor that is subcontractor-based. I want to develop both operations personally. So uh, I'm on my phone, but I'm not checking Twitter. I'm reading your questions. So if you haven't, you guys are doing a great job with questions, and then you can vote on the questions to make them uh, to rise higher on the list. Like there are four votes for uh, where to go? Does Nick May believe eating eggs still makes him a vegan? I need you to listen. Does Nick May believe eating eggs still makes him a vegan? You don't have to answer that because I think that's deeply personal and inappropriate. But I'm using that as an example to show how you can use uh, these questions. And uh, unfortunately, I cannot identify who asked that question. But four people have said yes, we want to know. Um, so use the app, and there are seats back there. Feel free to come all the way in. Um, Nick, you mentioned how you specifically talk to customers that you have your own employees. So Garrett, does that ever come up, the fact that does a customer ask you, do you have your own employees or do you use subs? And if so, how do you answer that question? That's a great question. Uh, we only get asked about 1% of the time. So if I did have all employees, I would be able to pitch that point to our customers. We find that most customers, they don't care. Uh, the 1% of customers that ask us, we tell them, 
You know, so we use both contractors and employees. Our customer satisfaction rates are just as good with either crew because we have strict policies with who we, uh, who we let work on our projects. We maintain, make sure your project is taken care of. We have a quality manager on staff and the project will get done to your satisfaction. If you do prefer employee crews, we do have those as well and we're happy to use employee crews on your project. So the hybrid model helps me here, but it's very, very rare that we actually get customers to ask this question. So it doesn't seem to affect us and most customers after we explain it like that have no problem using either solution. I have a question for that. So you believe that that's the best model for you to run your business, right? So why would you not go out of your way to tell your customer this is the best way for us to tell every customer this is, the, this is why we do it and, and let me tell you the benefits? Good question. I mean, there is a negative stigma in the industry and there are a percentage of people that believe that employees are best. Uh, now, employees, you do have more control, like you said, and there are many companies that do not use subcontractors properly and it could hurt their business. But at the same time, there are also many companies that don't use employees properly and that don't produce good quality work or don't manage their employees properly. You know, just because you um, have employees doesn't mean that they're not gonna show up to work. It doesn't mean that they're gonna be cleanly dressed. It doesn't mean that they're going to do things the right way. It's all about how they're managed and how your business model is executed. If you uh, run a very, if you run a business with high quality and customer service standards, you're gonna take care of your customers. If you run a business that you don't care about that and you don't manage your own life and responsibilities well, you're not gonna take care of it regardless of if it's an employee or a subcontractor operation. So the number one trending question on the app is, and I guess this is for Dave and Garrett, do you make the same profit margins with subs? So, as I mentioned earlier, when you utilize a subcontractor, typically it's guaranteed margin. And yes, we go in, let's just say it's commercial sector, typically it's around 40% margin gross profit that we're trying to hit. Um, with employees, it's, it fluctuates, right? It could be a little higher, it could be a little lower. We're still going in, we estimate the job with that same profit margin in mind, but you have a better opportunity to either make it or break it when you're utilizing full-time employees. So exactly what Dave said uh, when it comes to that, we, um, we make more money overall with our contractor operation. And the reason is, is because of the overhead. You may have one project that you make a little bit more money with employees on, but if you pay them on a piecemeal budget type system, they're gonna make about the same amount anyways. So you can save money on some projects, some projects go over, but the important thing that I like to point out is that it can take a while to train and onboard a new employee, especially a paint employee that doesn't have painting previous experience. It may take several months to get them to the point where they're producing at a good rate. And in the first month or two, you're gonna devote a lot of your time or energy or the foreman's time and energy into training that person on, which means all of those jobs will go over budget on what you had originally planned to get that employee to be a long-term asset in your company. And with the turnover rate in the painting industry that many of us face, you know, we're gonna lose a lot of painters for every person we train on. So you have a lot of overhead and training expenses that I like to calculate in the total cost of using an employee versus subcontractor operation. Where with contractors, you do wanna have an onboarding program. You do want to make sure that they're following your procedures and systems you know, to a point uh, you know, for whatever you know, the guidelines are. But if they, uh, if they bring on a new employee, 
of theirs and they train them on and they work with them, they're gonna make a little less money in that project. You control your margins either way, but when they get those assets and they get those employees, they can make money on each of their employees and they can make a lot more money as a business owner. So I see it as win-win situation there. So uh, a big thing, certainly something we cover a lot uh, at APC, and I know I personally some of you have talked about the importance of culture in your company, that you want to create a company that has a culture that you're proud of. Does employing subs, is that an obstacle to achieving that, that culture? Or using subs, I'm sorry, you're not uh, employing I'll take subs. This. Um, yeah, culture is extremely important in my company, right? And we utilize subcontractors and employees. I think the most important thing you could do to keep that culture at a high level is treat your subcontractors like they're your partners, right? If you start just treating them like, I'm the big shot, I'm that GC, and you're just a number, and I can get 10 of you, and I know how to do your job better than you, you're not gonna have great culture. If you go into the relationship with, listen, you're coming on board as my partner. You have to make money, I have to make money, the customer has to be happy. If we can achieve all that, we all win. Then I think they get excited about working for you. A lot of the subcontractors that we utilize on the commercial side are excellent craftsmen. They're just not great business people. They don't have the marketing sense. Um, they don't necessarily have the ability to estimate as well as we do because they don't have the systems in place. But when it comes down to painting, these guys are skilled craftsmen. So if you can create the systems for them, if you can show them the roadmap, you're going to have success working with subcontractors. So obviously, if, again, if you're on the app, you can see that most of these questions are about subs. So Katie and Nick, I don't know, sorry, we might not hear as much from you, uh, but here's a good question. Um, what's been the most effective channel for recruiting decent subs? Where do you find them? So there's one thing that we do quite a bit of. We uh, really utilize our paint stores to help us out with this. We'll uh, do a consistent uh, paint store lap every single month where we uh, will take our sales rep with us. Uh, we'll go into, uh, we'll just hit up all of our Sherwin-Williams paint stores uh, and we'll put a flyer up, you know, if they allow us to. And we'll talk to the uh, different employees in there and tell them, you know, hey, we're looking for some great partners to work with. It's a great income opportunity. If they have any gaps in their schedule, it's a great opportunity to fill their gaps and they will recruit for you. They'll give you business cards of people that are interested. And if you do that on a consistent basis and build those relationships with those uh, stores that are constantly seeing painters on a daily basis, uh, that's been a powerful source for us. That's probably been the most powerful thing we've done. We do the same, we go after paint stores, we talk to the branch managers and we say, we're looking for a very specific type of subcontractor. Typically somebody that's owner operator, so they own the company but they're still painting in the field. I personally have had success with uh, family owned and operated businesses, so if it's you and your son, if it's you and your brother going at it, and it's a family vested endeavor, you have better success working uh, with my team. So here's a question for everybody. Uh, in terms of safety and quality, what do you feel is easiest to control at the site level with each of the groups? So for Katie and Nick, uh, sort of addressed this at the beginning, but what aspects of your work, of your functions, do you feel having employees self-performing 
really gives you the greatest control, the greater control that allows you to execute the level you want to. Yeah, so I think, and it goes a little bit off of what Garrett said a little bit ago about um, you know, having like an onboarding process for your subs. We have a pretty extensive onboarding um, process for our employees, and it allows us to make sure that they can do those things. So we're not in a situation where a sub says, hey, yeah, we're all safety trained, or we can all operate a lift, or we have lift safety, or whatever, and you put them on site and find out that that's absolutely not true. So, you know, I think for us it's just different when you have those processes in place and, you know, you have safety uh, regulations as part of, your, part of your onboarding process. There's no question when you get on site to a project that they actually can do those things. Um, especially in larger commercial projects, you know, a lot of times they're, you, you are required to um, sign different things and have, di you know, met different metrics that say so many of your employees have these safety um, qualifications and, and it allows us to actually manage that process to make sure that not only do they actually have the training but it was intentional and it, it, it molded to specifically the type of work that we do. Because we're employee based we have checks and balances in our pay structure and so in the when I ask somebody to go paint something let's say cabinets right we do a lot of cabinet painting I know they're gonna do it in our system because they have been trained to do it in our system and we have checks and balances that says if they've missed our processes or systems along the way and we have problems, then they're going to lose some bonus. Like they're not going to get paid as much and they've got to fix it. Um, so that's a, a control piece that we really like. Um, when, and I guess it, it, it goes back to, I think you said it, Garrett, that you know, if, if you're employee-based but you don't have systems, like you can have problems anyways, right? Um, but I think a, a lot of times, you know, guys will hire subs and be like, oh, go, to, go paint Mrs. Jones's cabinets. Well, we don't know. We, maybe we haven't even worked together. And he, and he goes and does it completely different than the owner thinks he's going to go do it. And then they have problems and then there's, there's lots of problems. But that can happen in an employee-based situation too. You hire a painter. You don't train them well. They mess up. And then you're mad at them because they're an idiot, right? So but we, we personally, that's how we manage the system, and, and that's why I like it. You know, I think the other thing that we often talk about a lot, but we don't um, talk about this piece of it is, you know, training is expensive. It costs money. Um, even to be here today, I mean, it depending upon if you brought multiple people, this is an expensive endeavor. Um, a lot of times, I think, in our experience, you know, when, if you get a 1099 and a sub, to, you know, to Dave's point, they are good people in the industry. They work well, they have a, a high skill set, but they may not necessarily be good business people. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, either they don't have the foresight to understand the importance of, of training or they don't have the money. And I think without having a regular consistent basis of people that you, you are responsible for and they're responsible, you know, to be an employee, you kind of lose sight of, of that training, the piece of the, um, how important that training is. So, you know, I think, again, it just helps, it helps us manage it better because we have control over knowing the training opportunities that we've given and the training expectations and the safety expectations that we've set to our employees that they have to meet um, to be a part of it. And, and I think the other thing is, you know, they, they make a wage and then obviously have the opportunity for, um, you know, a bonus at the end. So they still have the motivation to do it right because uh, obviously, you know, the better they do, the more pay increases they're going to get, the more bonus they're going to get. Um, where if, you know, you're in a sub-situation, if, if it's, not run correctly, you could be in a situation where obviously they want to do it as quickly as possible, so they obviously have a potential to make more money, but at what cost? You know, are they cutting any costs to do that? Are they using less product than they should be or, you know, not following the spec, so. So, by the way, panelists, feel free to jump in if you have a specific comment 
off topic that you want to make, obviously feel free to do that. Here's a nuts and bolts question. Um, do subs pro provide the materials? What are the pros and cons? Our uh, subs do um, provide their materials. They're responsible for providing their equipment, like their ladders and their sprayers, but they're also uh, responsible for their paint consumption and soft supplies. They are welcome to use our charge account and we will deduct it off of their next paycheck if they prefer to use ours versus their own. But they, uh, uh, yeah, they, they use it. Um, my company provides all of the primer and paint necessary for the job and typically will also provide um, plastic if it's the large spray job or whatnot. Um, we also supply all of the rental equipment, so typically aerial lifts, scissor lifts, boom lifts. The subcontractor is responsible for equipment when it comes to sprayers, power washers, or sundry related items and ladders. Uh, similar question. Do you recommend subs to use company uniforms, either yours or theirs? So we do. Um, this, is, uh, this is a gray area because, you know, ultimately what you're trying to do in the eyes of the IRS is determine are they an employee or are they an independent contractor or subcontractor? And there's, uh, there's a checklist. There's like 20 different criteria and depending on kind of where you fall on each side, um, we, we like to think of it as like rocks in a boat. So we want to make sure as many rocks are out of our boat so that we don't sink and these guys are now in the eyes of the law an employee and now you're getting taxed on these guys differently and you have fines, penalties, et cetera, et cetera. So for us, employee uniforms is one of those rocks that we keep in the boat knowingly. Um, we provide our guys with magnetic signs that they put on their vehicles. So they're not always working for me. These guys have their own work, which again is another rock we keep out of the boat. So maybe they're working for my company 50% of the time. Maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 80%. It should be a percentage where they're working for both. When it comes to uniforms, we provide them with t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and hats. When they show up on our job, they're flying Alpine colors. They're promoting my brand. They're, uh, they're representing Alpine paint. So, could you so, guys, could you I'm repeat his a, question just so that everybody could hear it? So I'm not a labor attorney, and obviously this is not legal advice in any sense. But um, I have had a lot of dealings with my labor attorney and have had, you know, a case before in the past. And it's not a black and white situation. You know, it's not a, you put a, a t-shirt on an employee and they're automatically a sub. They follow about nine different guidelines, um, according to the Department of Labor. And if you follow, if they usually fall into about six of those categories, they usually consider them a sub versus all of them. So that's one factor that's kind of a ding against us. But in my particular issue, when I had uh, an issue with it, it did not really make a difference in my case. You know, I had, it did not harm me. And we don't require it, but we highly recommend it. So they may or may not, you know, continue to get work from us if they don't follow certain, you know, of our guidelines. You know, one of those guidelines is you can choose when you want to start the project, when you want to do it. But if they tell us that they're going to show up at Mr. Smith's house at 8 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, 
we expect them to be there at eight o'clock on a Tuesday. Uh, or let us know so we can tell the customer ahead of time. So it's one of those things that yes, they do have control over their schedule and when they do, but we expect them to, they can choose their commitments and we expect them to make it. So if they want to commit to wearing our t-shirts on a job versus a, or just a Sherwin-Williams paint shirt, they can do that. But we've never had any issues with our crews being willing to do that. Let's use, let's hold on, before we start raising hands, let's use the app to ask questions and let's let our amazing facilitator here dictate which questions we get. So I appreciate your question and I respectfully disagree with some of what they've said. Um, we actually had an IRS audit, and this was years and years and years ago in the infancy of our company, um, when we had a lot of more, lot more 1099 employees that, or 1099 people that we used, um, and we absolutely got nailed because they wore T-shirts. Um, it was very, very clear. It was made very clear by the IRS auditor to us that they cannot be in a, in a, in a four-jack T-shirt. Um, so it is a very gray line because to your point, which I absolutely agree with, you always want your brand to be advertised and, and you know, you want, like for us, we want, we want the customer to know that it's 4Jack and 4Jack's responsible for it because let's be honest, at the end of the day, we are responsible for it. Um, but they were very clear with us that they cannot wear 4Jack t-shirts. We cannot tell them what time to be there. We can, they cannot, you know, we can't enforce that they wear a, ma a magnet on their truck because we, we've done something similar with that early on. Um, so, I mean, I, I think to what they are saying, you got to kind of make it work, and you know, I think sometimes we all know that sometimes we have to operate in the gray. Um, so I, I think you have to evaluate your risk. But you know, again, going through an audit uh, with Forjack, and like I said, it was years ago, but it was it was not gray. It was very black and white that that was against the law. Yeah. So yeah, and to be honest with you, I don't want to. I don't remember what the penalty was, but we absolutely pay penalties for that. Um, because a certain percentage of the people that we submitted as 1099s were deemed to be employees. And I think, um, to your point, Garrett, th there are so many categories that you, you, know, you have to check so many boxes. Um, so it's not like just one thing, but we did check enough boxes in some, in some, um, some of those categories where we were, you know, we were fined. And also, interestingly enough, our, our, the IRS audit that we had came several years after the year that they audited. Um, so, you know, you really had to go back and look and kind of remember who was that person. And, you know, a lot of times we had to go back and try to get information from them and they were out of business or their phone number had changed and it, it was hard to reach them. So I think if you do use it and it is a model that works for your company, you have to make sure that you do it right and that you follow all the guidelines and that you have all that information up front. So if in a couple of years you do get audited for any reason, you know, you're able to, to easily provide that information versus having to rely on them to maybe or maybe not still be in business. Katie, how do you how do you ensure that you have that information? Do you do you need a specialized labor attorney? Can so, you self-perform? <laughs> how do you get the information? Yeah, so we utilized um, shortly after that happened. We did use a, a labor attorney who provided us some information about if you use someone. These are the absolute bare minimum requirements that they must provide to you, which are you know kind of the obvious things: the insurance, the workers' comp, um, you know the the things that they have to do to check the box. Um, but, but again, as we grew as a company, it just became a model that didn't, we just didn't believe in and it didn't, it didn't really work for us. And I think if you have to put so much effort into making sure that they fit the categories that you want them to fit and that they represent your company in a way that you want them to represent it, you might as well just make them employees. Another question from the app. Do you background check your subcontractors, auto and criminal? We do, we do for the owners. Um, that's part of our onboarding process. I wouldn't necessarily say we do it for all their employees because some of their employees are coming in and out. Um, so yeah, that's again another risk. For all of our full-time employees, they're getting full background checks. You know, I think one of the, 
the things to get, again, the concept of the rocks out of the boat is to have a, a clean system for onboarding. Um, we have our subcontractors sign a master service agreement. It's good for three years. It's, think of it as a GC model, right? When you want to work for a general contractor, you're typically signing an agreement, and then we offer a, a work order, which is a per-job agreement, which has the specific scope of work, the time frame of when the job needs to be completed by, any real specific pertinent information. If we have an outside contract, a lot of that language gets pushed into that work order. We ask for certain things. Um, one of the biggest ask is certificate of insurance. Um, and we dive deep into that because that, in my opinion, working with subcontractors is one of your biggest risks. Um, so we really want to know not only that they have insurance at these levels and we'll provide a sample cert, but then my agent will really dig down deep to see what kind of exclusions they may have and God forbid there was an accident, what are we covered for and what are we not. They give us a completed W-9, business registration certificate. Um, you know, we, we really take our time getting to know this individual to see if they're, they're a solid partner before we just jump in. So I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe one of the criteria for subs is you cannot exhibit behavioral control. So is asking them to wear certain uniforms, is that behavioral control? So we requested, similar to what Garrett said, it's not enforced. You know, we recommend. You don't have to. The only thing you can't do is wear your company apparel on our job. So if you want to wear Sherwin-Williams shirts and white pants, it, from a safety standpoint, we, we say you need steel toe boots, the proper PPE on the job, you need to have long pants and no cutoff shirts. But, you know, are we enforcing, like, if you don't wear our shirt, you can't work for our company? No. So here's a, here's a challenging question. If you are more than 50% subs, aren't you just an express price line deal of the painting world instead of an actual painting company? I disagree with that because um, you're, still, you're still in charge of the work. You know, you're still inspecting the work. You're still um, scheduling the project with the customer. You're doing all the front end communication, the sales you're doing. You're providing the same customer experience regardless of if a uh, subcontractor or an employee is working on the project. Yes, you have less control with the subcontractor and they can you know, choose what time they want to start at work, but you just build your processes around it. So instead of telling customers that we start every job at 7 a.m. on Monday morning, you know, we let them know that we're going to be starting you know, um, within these two days, a couple weeks ahead of time. We get from the crew what day that they're going to start and what time, and then we relay that message on to the customer. So we're managing the project in a similar way. We're just, uh, so I, I disagree. I don't think we're necessarily just a price line. I think it's uh, if we just got the job and gave it to the crew and said do everything and collect the check and then come back to us, it'd be tough to maintain quality control standards. And then we're kind of an express line. But if you do it right, you can maintain quality. So I did not put it in the app, but I am on the table. so. I, I get special treatment. You go. Um, just a follow-up um, for you. So it, it's great when we talk about, okay, the guy's telling me he's going to show up at 8 o'clock on Tuesday, and he's going to you know, do the work. Well, how do you deal with the, all this stuff when they're like, well, I'm not going to be there, and he shows, and doesn't, they don't come. They, 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 how, do you, how do you deal with that with the customer? You're like, hey, Mrs. Smith, sorry, no one's coming. I know I told you yesterday the guys are coming, but they don't really work for me. Like, how, how does that conversation go? 
Yeah, that does happen once in a while, so that is one of the risks. But uh, for the most part, it, it rarely happens because they want to work with you. They want to earn your business. They want to make this work. They're normally going to show up when they say that they're going to show up and keep those commitments. And if they don't, you, you know, we tell the customer like, hey, you know, we really apologize. There must have been some issues. Um, we'll figure this out shortly or we'll get another crew here right away to take care of you. And uh, then we uh, talk to the crew. We bring them in and be like, hey, you know, this makes us look bad because you told us that you're going to be there at 8 o'clock. You told the customer that you're going to be there at 8 o'clock and, you know, you weren't. Is this something we're going to be able to work together in the future? We need you to be more reliable and dependable if we want to continue this relationship, just like you would with an employee. But I think if you have employees that call in sick, because obviously we all know that that happens, and we all know that you have employees that ghost you and don't show up, and those risks are the same whether they're employees or subs. But if you have a job that, you know, let's say is like really high priority or whatever, you know that they didn't come. You, they called off to you. They know you didn't show up. So you have some sort of ability to kind of fix it before Mrs. Smith calls and is pissed because you didn't show up and you didn't do what you said. And it's typically one person versus a whole team. So which, uh, which employee model is best at limiting turnover and boosting retention? Is there an inherent benefit to the employee model to limiting retention? Is there an inherent obstacle of the sub-model that limits retention? They, they work for us versus sub for us because we can provide them health insurance, we provide them 401k, we provide them things that make it worth staying. Um, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on as a company is we've never had to lay anyone off. That's never been something that we've had to do. Um, now, of course, we have to do some other things to prevent that. We have four divisions of our company. We travel a good bit, so we can kind of follow the weather. But unlike a 1099 situation, it's like they, they don't run out of work. They don't have that opportunity. You know, we have an obligation. I have an obligation to them to make sure that they have enough hours every week. And, um, you know, that's what keeps them coming back to me. It's a mutual relationship of I need them, they need us. And, and you know, I think that's why it works better for us, where a sub doesn't always have that. And they are going to follow the work. You know, it's like the subs are going to follow where the work is available. Um, and if I always provide the work and the work is always available for our, for our employees, they have no reason to leave. I don't necessarily know you can have that even as a question because by the nature of having a sub, you, you've not retained them. Like the, it's, it's a new contract every single time, correct? You do have less retention when it comes to subcontractors of what we found, but it's also a lot easier to recruit and build your pipeline and fill your team up with a lot of quality contractors very quickly. It takes a lot longer to build up and scale an employee operation. So you do have a fluctuation of demand, which you have to be able to expect and control. You know, we could have three-fourths of our crews decide one week that they have their own customers, which often happens in the first couple weeks of spring and now all of a sudden we have a very small operation that week. You have to be able to manage your schedule differently and it'll fluctuate. And then the next week they could all say like, hey, I'm looking for a job. We get them all a job and then we pull up two weeks worth of demand to be able to fill that. So you just have to build enough of a pipeline of crews and have enough people that you recruited on board to eliminate that retention risk. 
In my opinion, I think it's healthier to have full-time employees. Let me just be clear on that. I think the majority of your employees should be full-time. That should be your focus. If you do seasonal work, if you slow down for large periods of time, if you ramp up really quick at certain uh, periods of the year, from a business component sense, it helps you when you utilize subcontractors. Um, but no, from a retention standpoint, if you're laying guys off in the winter months, no, that's not good for the culture or the retention of your company. That's not healthy, um, in my opinion. So, you know, if you can keep a set crew busy the entire 12 months out of the year, and then you can utilize subcontractors to handle, you know, the highs and lows, I think that's beneficial. Do you make subs sign a non-compete, and how do you keep subs from stealing clients? We don't make subs sign a non-compete, um, but if you take our client, we don't work with you. Um, you know, and honestly, in my opinion, the subcontractors we utilize are necessarily capable of handling the high-caliber clients that we work with. So I'm not overly concerned about that. What they do sign is a 16-page master service agreement, which is like what a GC would give you if they're coming on board. It's good for three years, and it was written by a labor uh, law attorney, and it, in my opinion, is extremely detailed and covers me in many ways. Um, so, yeah, I feel like we're covered um, pretty well, but, you know, not for everything. Um, but we have those conversations, too, about, hey, look, you're representing our company. And, you know, if we find out that you're working on the side for, you know, one of our customers, even if it's at his house, even if you've developed that relationship with them and it's a small job, we have zero tolerance for it. You can't work for me if that's going to be your approach. You have to be completely transparent. I don't care if it's a small little additional work order. Bring it to my attention. Garrett, I think you talked about it previously. Just, I'm going to just oh, sorry. touch Go really ahead, quick. Nick. I mean, we have something very similar for an employee base, too, because employees can go and do side work, too, right? Um, and so we have in our operations manual, um, we have it spelled out that I consider if you're going to work for one of our customers on the side, that's theft, and you will be terminated. Now, we also were very open about what we, we don't do a lot of different types of things. So if a customer came to uh, one of our guys, um, a lot of our guys are actually artists, and said, hey, would you do a mural for me in my kid's room? That guy or gal is going to come to me and say, hey, Mrs. Smith wants me to come do this on the weekend. Are you okay with it? And I'm totally fine with that. But I want them to come to me and tell me that first. Right? So we, have, we spell it out, we have a process for it, um, and they know what the consequences are if they don't follow that. Do you cherry pick the projects for your employees versus subs? We do. Uh, just like our employee crews, our sub crews, they can handle certain jobs really well. They prefer certain jobs a lot more. Our employee crews prefer um, are good at certain jobs as well. So we cherry pick the job pretty carefully based upon the individual painter's skill sets, uh, needs. And um, you know, so we have some of our crews are very, very experienced tradespeople and they can handle just about anything. Other crews, they're, they're deck specialist crews. It's kind of our joke in the company. That's more of the uh, you know, beginners for us, at least in our, in our company. So we do cherry pick pretty carefully, and we also have a model where we try to complete jobs as quickly as possible. So our larger crews of six, eight guys will work on you know, our larger projects, and our one or two man operations will work on the smaller projects.
are you transparent with pricing with your subs? How do you determine their pay? Good question. Yeah, very, very transparent. Um, so how we operate is we handle all the estimating in-house. And we approach the subcontractor with a detailed scope of work. We, in many cases, encourage them to go to the job site. If it's a larger project, we'll walk them through the job step by step um, and explain what would be expected. And then we give a very clear labor number. I do not negotiate with subcontractors. It is my best and final upfront. I tell them that before they even come on board as a sub. This is the number, take it or leave it. Do you want the job, yes or no? My estimating program is extremely detailed and I assist them if they need help as far as how I figure the job is getting it done, hours for each elevation, area, substrate, et cetera. But um, yeah, I'm very transparent. So they know what they're getting from the start of the job. If there's any deviation from the scope that would indicate a change order, then we need to have a change order in place before they get additional compensation. If they do something on the word of the contract, on the word of the customer, that's not in the contract, that's on them, not on me. So a couple questions here. Let me read, well, multiple questions and then you can dig in. Uh, how do you manage control standards of the work done by the subs? How often do you visit and inspect their work? Uh, and whose job is that? Whose role is that? And also, lastly, do you retain dollars on invoices pending completion? And I can reread any of those, but if one yeah, of them jumps. Um, we use a project manager that goes out and inspects all of our jobs, um, probably on a daily basis. I mean, he's hitting 10 jobs in a day. It really depends on how busy we are, if he's getting there every day or a few times a week. He's absolutely looking for quality. He's looking into the safety of the manpower. He's looking into the communication back and forth with the customer, from the customer to our subcontractor, because they are communicating as if they were one of my team members. Um, again, checking mill film thickness, um, looking at number of coats. You know, he's ordering, we're, we have control as far as ordering the material, so we know that they're not skipping coats or cutting corners per se. Um, you know, quality, we have, we have three pillars that we look for in our partnerships with our subcontractors. Try and simplify these systems, right? So pillar number one is safety. And we talk about what that looks like. We encourage them to get their OSHA 10s, their OSHA 30s. We want to help them be better subcontractors, better contractors as a whole, because if they're better, we're better. The second pillar is communication. Communication is vital. Typically, we don't fail on the painting part. We always tell our guys, that's the easy part. We fail on the communication. We fail on the expectation. The customer has an expectation, and we're not delivering on that. We need to constantly understand the expectation so that we can meet the standard of the job. And then the third one and the easiest one is the quality. But yeah, are we monitoring quality? Absolutely. In regard to the second question, from retainage standpoint, yes, we do hold retainage. So again, similar to that GC model, I hold 10% on every job. I pay my guys every other week, right? All my subs, every other week, they're getting a paycheck. We agreed on what the number was. I don't wait. Even if I'm getting stretched out 90 plus days, I don't stretch them out. Why? They need that money to survive. Their labor is on the streets. I can handle it, I can hold it, I can be the bank. I don't make them wait. But I hold 10% on that job until I get paid because if there's any issues, they're on the hook for it. So, similar question, how do you handle warranty issues and callbacks for work done by subs? 
Uh, great question. Uh, so we will first go to the crew and, you know, uh, ask them, you know, hey, we had these problems on this job, let's take a look at it. If it was labor related to them uh, and they are in good standing with us, they'll take care of it. But if they're not and they're no longer working for us, even though it's technically in their subcontract agreement to us, we just send our guys and we take care of the customer and we, uh, we eat that expense. So there is definitely some risk there. But with employee crews, you're gonna have to pay for employees to fix it up too. So you gotta make sure that you manage your quality very well. We have a similar position, a quality manager, who it's his job to try to ensure highest level of standards that we can. And we do our best to limit the warranty work. Another uh, logistical question. How do, you, how do you deal with obstacles when it comes to scheduling? If you're, if you're using subs and you, don't, you can't control when they show up, how do, how do you overcome that? You we gotta tell the homeowner when you're gonna be there. That's a great question. That's one of the challenges of using uh, contractors, but normally we give them a window. So uh, when we book the job, we'll tell them that, you know, we're looking at the weeks of uh, the first two weeks in August to produce your project. And then when it gets closer, we'll give them more of a specific, you know, smaller time frame. And then when the job actually happens, you know, or right when we uh, talk to the crew about the job, and they're like, I want to accept this job. We ask them, when can you start the project? They'll tell us August 2nd um, at 8 a.m. And then we'll uh, relay that to the customer, tell them we'll be there between 8 and 10 o'clock on August 2nd and to account for some punctuality. And that's how we do it. So we wait until we have communication with the customer. So a lot of times we're pulling jobs forward, you know, occasionally pushing jobs back. We usually try to schedule out and give the customer about one to two weeks extra time that we think we can produce it in. And then we just focus on, you know, handing out those jobs uh, that are due sooner. Dave, I know you, you already touched on this uh, with, a, with another question, but more directly, I guess also for you, Garrett, what payment schedule do you use when paying subs? Weekly, monthly, what? We pay every other week. We pay every single week. Uh, if they complete a project by Tuesday night and they get us the paperwork in, they have to get a sign off by the customer, uh, we pay them on that same Friday, direct deposit into their account. A lot of times they have a tough time managing their finances and the quicker the payments, the uh, easier it is to retain them and keep them happy. Yeah, and we require our subcontractors to invoice us, you know, three days before that Friday of, of uh, the weekly pay week. So this question is, uh, would the panel agree that subcontractors are best for general painting work and employees are best for specific and technical painting? I mean, I, I think it's, Yes. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that you obviously, it is very job specific. Um, I think if you have like what I'm going to say are basic tasks that are like repetitive, then yeah, that's obviously a good format to use it. Um, you know, but, but again, I think similar to Nick, you know, our, and our attitude is employees are better. You, you know, we feel like you can manage the, the quality better, even if it's a very general task versus a specific, specific task. But if, if we had to use a sub or we did use a sub, yes, I would agree with that statement. I liked the question earlier that was posed about the price line, and I believe that um, I'm a representation of the guys um, that I'm bringing to the house. And when they're hiring Nick May, Walls by Design, they're hiring our company, and I want them to know that. Um, we haven't touched on this, and, and uh, there's a whole, like, we could really go down into the throwdown thing, but I particularly get very... Uh, heated 
with the whole idea of, of not telling the customer. I feel that it's being deceptive. Um, I would feel much better if when I asked Garrett the question, he would say, yeah, we proudly say all of our employees are subcontractors and this is why. But I feel like our whole entire industry shoves it under the rug and they don't want to talk about it and they hope nobody asks you. And then they say, they, they refer to their guys as my employees and then at the end of the year they get a 1099. And most of the time, and I'm not saying your guys have this, but I think in a lot of parts of our industry, the one that gets screwed is that guy that is working for us. Because they don't understand that they're then responsible for the taxes. They don't, they don't know that they're not covered under um, a liability insurance or workman's comp. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. But a lot of times, you're just trying to make sure nobody understands that and your, your cost is a lot less than my cost because I have an employee that I'm paying taxes and insurance on. I know that's not really what the question was. <laughs> yeah, I'll throw it down. <laughs> so um, I think it depends on your business situation. Uh, I think a lot of people in this room are much better off with having employees versus contractors. And in um, a certain business situation, I would be as well. There's a lot of benefits, a lot of value to it. But um, when it comes to trying to scale your business, and grow, especially with seasonality, there's a huge advantage to using contractors. You can scale up to $3 million in a year if you had the right sales and other business systems, and you can do that a lot easier with crews. You can hire on crews a lot quicker, you can get work out the door a lot faster, and you can grow a, a much quicker business without having to lay off people in the winter time and having to have that downside. And you can scale to the actual amount of sales that you can have instead of being booked out all summer and then searching for winter work to keep your crews busy. In a lot of your cases, I think employees are a better model. And if I was a, um, if I was a $50 million company that had consistent work year round, you know, I would try to have as many employees as physically possible. And I still try to grow our employee operation as well. Uh, but in my particular situation, I think that it's good to have a hybrid model for my, my own business and it works out for us. So we're, we're covering some, well, we're trying to drill down a bit deeper on some of these topics. So uh, obviously if you're using subs, you can manage the quality of their work by not using them the next time. If you're not happy with one job, you don't rehire them. But how do you manage the quality of their work on a specific job? They're not meeting the quality standards, they get thrown off the job just like if you were working for somebody else. Um, could you supplement and bring on your own employees to take it over? Yeah, I mean, we have that option. If, if they're not meeting the scope of work, if they're not meeting the quality standards, they can't work on the job. They can't work for you. It's pretty simple. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just common sense when you're out on the project. You know, you don't want to think that a sub is the same as an employee, but there are so many crossovers it, it's, it's, it's a very similar process in that regard. So for Nick and Katie, uh, if you have an employee-based system during the slower times, you don't have as much work to pass around, how do you manage your employees? Um, so we've specifically, up till now, uh, not done any kind of exterior work, and so our workload stays pretty consistent. Um, we stay regularly three to six weeks booked out. Um, we have a, we have a, it lightens a little bit uh, over the holidays, 
um, but we try to plan for that. Um, and so we don't go through this major up and down cycle where we have to lay people off, um, like folks that 60% of their work is exterior. You know, that try, that that's a really hard model to do. I, I've grown my business in a way to avoid that. Um, yeah, so I agree with everything that Nick said. Um, Forjack's approach to it has been to have those different divisions. Um, so although painting is our, is our main business, we do have the ability to kind of shift people around a little bit if there is a slower time in the winter. Um, you know, we have a floor, floor coatings run through our service department, so obviously there's some overlap there. Um, we have a large contract that requires um, some painting as a small portion of a much larger project that's done by another division that we have. So there is a lot of cross-training in that regard. Um, we do a lot of exterior work, um, so we do travel a good bit. Uh, we, we used to say that we traveled anywhere east of the Mississippi, but we have a project in Denver right now. So it gets a little bit, uh, a little bit more west than I think we'd like, but we do travel, so you know, it's, a, it's enabled us to kind of follow the weather, and uh, you know, when it gets cold in Ohio, we move south. We go to Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, and, we, and you know, we've kind of created a situation that allows for 12-month work, even though we're based out of Ohio. I've got a question specifically for Garrett. Are you familiar with the ABC subcontractor slash employee test? How do you keep that relationship clear? Uh, I'm familiar with some of the guidelines with the IRS and the Department of Labor. ABC stands for? I am, so I'm not familiar with their particular guidelines. I assume it's somewhat similar to the other ones. Uh, so we, we're very careful to follow all the points in a sense. Like with t-shirts, as an example, like I said before, you know, we don't require them, but you know, they want to be members of the team. They want to do a good job. They want to keep you happy. You know, uh, they have an option to wear Sherwin-Williams or our shirts, but if they know it's going to keep us happy, zero issues relating to it. So uh, we, we look at all those checkpoints and we try to meet them to the best of our ability, where I feel like in a court of law that we would pass the test. We have great contracts, we follow insurance, workers comp, we're very diligent about all that. They can choose to work for us whenever they want to, you know, they, they work for other people as well. We try to meet all of those aspects. So um, if you're, it, there is a risk using subs, but if you're careful enough, you're educated enough, you can uh, use contractors in a point that is following, you know, the right law and the right ethics. And our guys make a lot more money at the end of the year. You know, if you pay your guys hourly, like Nick May said earlier, and just give them a 1099, they have to pay a ton of taxes at the end of the year, it could really hurt the crew or the person. But if you do it right and you pay them, you know, what they should be paid and account for that in their income, they can be a lot better off, in my opinion, if they're a hard worker and work very efficiently. Dave, since you have both subs and employees, is there ever any resentment among the employees toward the subs or vice versa um, that you know I of? Can't, no, I can't say that we've had like uh, the Jets versus the Sharks. Nobody's <laughs> like going after it out in the field, right? Um, no, I mean, there's mutual respect throughout. You know, if you're, if you're a craftsman, if you're good at what you do, you're going to earn respect with your team. Um, we have some big company events, and we do invite our subcontractors to some of those events to celebrate the year, whether it's a holiday party or a barbecue or whatnot. They do get to know, you know, our full-time employees. I can't say that, you know, it's like, oh, you're a sub. You're l less than I am. Um, you know, it's the same kind of camaraderie that we'd have between an employee to another. 
division as a whole? Yeah, I mean, we typically don't cross-pollinate. Um, I mean, there's some occasions where we will, but for the most part, the sub stays specific to a, a division, correct? We don't have any drama either between the two divisions because all of our employees and subs, they have the option to do the other route. We want whatever's best for them. We work with them on a personal level. And if an employee wants to become a contractor and get his own operation, he has the option to do that. If a contractor would rather become an employee and we want him as, and if we decide to hire him as an employee, you know, we're happy to do whatever is best for the individual. And uh, so both sides are happy with their roles in the company. Uh, I wish I would have noticed this question earlier. Somebody asked, what's the code for the app, the, pa <laughs> the password? And that's, now that there's six minutes left in this session, the password is education, I'm told with a capital E. Um, do you require your subs to communicate with the customer in English? Yes. If the customer speaks English, yes, you need to communicate in English. Uh, a requirement for us is to have a full-time English-speaking foreman on the job at all times. Communication is paramount. It's a safety concern if you can't communicate properly. So that is absolutely required. Is it common for you to hire your subs, to make them full-time employees? I wouldn't say it's common, but we have done it in the past. If, we've get, if, if we have a subcontractor that's just a shining star, yeah, you want that person as an employee. I mean, in my opinion, if you can provide consistent work, if you have that slow, controlled growth, more employees is better than less. Um, I think the employee model, if you can sustain consistent opportunities, is the better model overall. If you're scaling up or scaling down too fast, subcontracting may be beneficial. If you're seasonal, subcontracting may be beneficial. It's not right for everybody. One point to that, one of the last positions we had as subcontractors in our company is interior designers. So we used to subcontract all of our color consults out. We hit a point where I was spending, I don't know, $3,000 a month on those individual contracts, um, paying them out every month. And so it actually was less expensive for me to then bring somebody on in-house. It st it's still a part-time position, but we had the consistency that you're talking about. And, and it cost me less money, and she was able to do more things. And so that was a, that's one example of that. So we used to have in-house color consultants and we switched that over to contractors for us and it's been absolutely huge. We have interior designers that absolutely love to work with us. They want, they love to do the color consults. They go in for an hour. We pay them only $50 per color consult and they get a lot of interior design business. So they go in there, the customer gets an interior designer. They have a great experience. You know, they, um, they submit to us their colors and it actually costs us less than when we had employees because you don't have that time in between appointments and all the other time that you have to pay them for. You know, if I could do consistent 30 color consults a week back to back and never have any gaps, I would save money with an employee. But based on the vehicle overhead, everything else, it's been a win-win situation for us and it also creates a great referral source for their other clients. So before we, we still got a couple of minutes, so before we head out, is there anything that you guys want to say as a final thought, especially Katie and Nick, since we didn't get to hear as much from you guys, not to put you on the spot, but uh, if you would like to put a bow on any final thoughts, please feel free. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just, I really agree with a lot of what Dave said. I mean, it, for us, for 4Jack, it's absolutely employee-based is, is our preference. It works better for us. Um, 
you know, similar to Nick, we've tried it other ways and it just hasn't been successful for us, but that certainly doesn't mean that it couldn't be successful for some of the ways that you guys operate your businesses. Um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the biggest uh, challenges we have in this industry though is to keep things apples to apples. And, you know, there's nothing more frustrating than knowing that you're bidding against two guys in a Honda that, you know, have a paintbrush in the back of their truck. So I would just, you know, I would implore everybody that if you do use a submodel to do it right, follow the right guidelines, um, you know, because it's, it's tough. It's tough to be in this, this industry and uh, just, you know, try to make the level the playing field as much as possible. But you have to do what's right with your business and what works for your model. Um. Super excited to be on this panel. Uh, these guys are great guys, and I know them outside of here, and um, so I'm giving uh, Garrett a little bit of a hard time, but um, I think he runs his business in the right way. My fear is that there's so many guys out there and gals that are not doing this correctly, um, paying people correctly, following the systems, following the guidelines, um, and, and I would just ask that we as an industry stack hands and say, let's not, be cheating the system. Let's because we're because we're really just hurting ourselves. You're here. So one last comment. I am going to go ahead and speak for the panels, panelists. If you guys have further questions, thoughts, discussions at the Sherman Williams party tonight on the trade show floor, wherever you see these uh, wonderful people, I bet you they'd be more than happy to field any thoughts and any questions. Uh, so that's what this is all about, about interacting and networking. So feel free to chat them up. And on the same topic, please, just, on, just in the same area where you, you posted your questions, fill out the survey. That feedback is incredibly important. The staff really works hard to create things that are useful. And the only way to make it even better is for you to tell them what did and did not work. The moderator was bad, horrible, piss poor. Feel free to give yes. that feedback. <laughs> All um, three. <laughs> real quick, I just want to send a plug out. So um, if you enjoy this expo, if you get a lot out of networking, if this is an environment that you feel is beneficial for you and your company, I urge you to consider the other expos through the forums. So Commercial Forum has an expo coming up in September. It's going to be in Montreal, if I know correctly. Um, Quebec, thank you. Thank you. Um, to me, as a commercial contractor, a larger commercial contractor, just surrounding yourself with other commercial contractors, I get a lot out of that, just like I do here. Um, residential forum, can anyone say where the next, Milwaukee is the, is the next conference? Coming out when, do you know when? Uh, July. In July. So please consider, if you like coming to Expo, consider going to one of those forums as well. Craftsman Forum. Craftsman Forum, I, Tony, I wouldn't forget you. Where are we at? Boston, Craftsmanship Forum. So those are subsets of the PCA, and those are also great groups to join. So fill out the survey, and as you leave, let's have a round of applause for the panelists. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.